1: and welcome to The Intelligence from The Economist. I'm Ore Ogumbi. Every weekday, we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world. The origins of hip hop can be traced back to a block party in New York 50 years ago this month. The genre has evolved immensely in the decades since, both in terms of the sound and the techniques that define it. Now it's going global, influencing and being influenced by the sounds of K-pop, Afrobeats and even Latin rap too. But has this come at the expense of its popularity at home?
2: For much of the 20th century across East Asia, families tended to consist of mono-ethnic married couples with children, where men worked and women kept the home.
1: Noah Snyder is our Tokyo Bureau Chief.
2: It was an arrangement with underpinnings and widely shared Confucian values and that really fit with the kind of urbanizing 20th century lifestyle of the time. More recently, the traditional nuclear family is losing its hold on East Asia. So a team of our correspondents in Japan, China, South Korea, and Taiwan went out to meet families who are doing things a bit differently. One of the most unusual examples came from South Korea, where my colleague Heun Shin met Lee min Gyeong. She went to her flat in Hongdae, a trendy area in Seoul, and heard the story of Ms. Lee's modern family.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Ms. Lee told Hyun about how she came out as a lesbian in 2020 and, and how she wanted to build a different kind of family, despite South Korea's conservative, deeply patriarchal culture. Gay marriage is still illegal in South Korea, so to kind of legitimize her family, she created a company which she called Gorilla, and its members live and work together. She described the enterprise to us. And explained that it consists of a school that teaches women language, writing, and finances, a property business that rents out spaces for women, a talent management company for female artists, and and even a women's shelter. Her guerrilla family has since grown into a unit of seven, which includes Ms. Lee's partner, their adopted daughter, who is actually just two years younger than Ms. Lee herself, another couple, a friend, and a dog. And as Ms. Lee put it to us, she said that she wanted to to show her country that you don't have to be blood-related to be family. But on that front, she's way ahead of the current South Korean government which very much still sees families as a mom, a dad, and hopefully a kid or even two. In much of East Asia, I think that pattern holds.
1: And Noah, what does this new family look like?
2: We're seeing cohabitation before formal marriage, which was once really a taboo, become more acceptable. We're seeing gay couples and and single parents clamoring for legal rights to to form families and and have children. We're seeing two-income households become more common. Divorces and remarriages also are becoming more common. Aging, especially in Japan and Korea, is altering family dynamics. I mean, in Japan, where I am, for example, people over 65 years old already account for nearly 30% of the population, and and a new kind of lexicon has emerged. People talk about 80-50 or 90-60 families, which are those consisting of an an elderly parent living with a middle-aged child. But perhaps the biggest and most fundamental shift is the rise of of single-person households and and the relative decline, again, of nuclear families.
1: And why is that? Why are there now so many single-person households?
2: The fundamental reason is a flight from marriage. If you look at Japan, where the the process started first, couples with at least one child, so a kind of nuclear family setup, accounted for 42% of households in 1980, whereas single-person households made up just 20%. By 2020, that was almost reversed. Uh, Couples with children had fallen to just 25% of households, while single people accounted for nearly 40% of households. And similarly, in South Korea, Taiwan, and and even China, we're seeing the number of marriages drop, the number of single-person households rise.
1: And why are people less willing to marry? Why are they opting out of getting married and having
2: children? We heard really two kind of schools of thought on this question. One focuses on economic precarity. So it's the idea that people still largely want to get married or form long-term partnerships and they want to have children, but they feel they can't afford to do so. That you know, rising costs of housing, of education are making having children a luxury essentially. The other argument here is that the kinds of families that people want to form today are different from the kinds of families the legal structures, the corporate cultures, the social mores are set up for in these countries. And that's especially true for women today in East Asia who've seen education levels rise, but traditional gender roles still kind of pervading the workplace and and the home. And the challenge of balancing work and family is even more acute than elsewhere in the world. And as a result, many choose to kind of opt out of it. In South Korea, for example, there's even a movement known as bihong, which means essentially unmarried by choice.
1: So more single people, how does that impact East Asia's demography?
2: Well, it doesn't bode well if you're looking at population figures. One of the unique features of these changes in family formation in in East Asia is that births out of wedlock, so births to unmarried people, remain really, really rare, which is in contrast to other parts of the developed world. And so you're seeing the birth rate fall drastically. So according to the United Nations, the four East Asian territories that we covered in our reporting will see their combined populations shrink by 28% between 2020 and 2075. And that's likely also to have big knock-on effects uh, for the region's economies. During the same period, the bank Goldman Sachs projects that the combined share of global GDP from those four is going to drop from over 26% to under 18%.
1: So now what? For those who do want a family, what can governments do to help them increase their chances?
2: Well, policymakers across the region want young people to marry and to procreate more to, to help solve the demographic problems that we discussed. But their ideas for doing this largely consist of economic incentives. They're addressing the kind of economic precarity piece of the problem, but not that deeper structural rigidity. Taiwan is is really the one place that's gone the furthest in redefining who officially can be considered a family. They legalized gay marriage in 2019 and have finally allowed same-sex couples to adopt children. They've pushed for greater integration of migrants, kind of redefining the the Taiwanese family to include multicultural ones. It's a bit too soon to say how those changes are going to filter through to the bigger demographic questions. But I think it offers a model for an alternative approach, which is to try and create structures that are more flexible, that address the growing tension between well-educated, empowered women and patriarchal mores that shape private and public life in East Asia. And I think until you see policymakers addressing that, you'll see young people and especially young women pushing against uh, the traditional roles of wife and mother and in the process, continuing to redefine what a family looks like.
1: Noah, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: And you can hear more about how women are redefining the family in China, including single mothers raising children, in a recent episode of our sister show, Drum Tower. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation...
1: ago this month, young New Yorker Cindy Campbell was trying to raise money to buy school clothes. She hosted a back-to-school jam in the apartment building where she and her family lived in the Bronx, one of New York's five boroughs. Admission for girls was 25 cents. For the fellas, it was 50 cents. Clive, her 18-year-old brother, better known as Cool Herc, DJed. His turntables, mixer, enormous speakers and amplifiers pumped out tunes and beats into the early hours. No one knew
3: it at the time, but this jam is widely recognised as the start of hip-hop.
1: Rosemary Ward writes about America for The Economist.
3: 50 years on, hip-hop is not just a society-changing type of music. It's become more than a genre. It's a culture.
4: It's fashion, it's art, it's style. The records that have been successful in the music business cannot match the innovation creativity of the boys and girls that were DJing in the streets of New York. We
5: got the b-boys, the breakers, the breakdancers. You got a voice. We got the MCs. Hip-hop is a superhero, it's not just some genre of music.
3: Hip-hop has become a global phenomenon. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, it's artists like Jay-Z are billionaires, and it all began on the humble streets of the Bronx. The Bronx was the center of the new movement. DJs played on the city streets and in its parks, stealing electricity from lampposts to pump up the volume. People came from all over the city to hear the DJs spin. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five attracted throngs of fans, first at block parties, then at parks, and then at clubs, with songs like Super
4: Rappin'.
3: Before he was even a teenager, Grandmaster Wizard Theodore invented record-scratching in his bedroom. (coughs) Most songs were party anthems until Melly Mel's The Message, hip-hop's first socially conscious song. Its scathing lyrics depicted a bleak Bronx, and it resonated beyond New York's five boroughs.
4: Broken glass everywhere, people pissing on the stage, you know they just don't care.
3: I kept... Chuck D, the front man of Public Enemy, once said that rap is Black America's TV station.
4: These boys and girls were famous in the neighborhoods. Oh, Cool Hurt, Grandmaster Flash, Cold Crush, Stretch, Street, Shaw Rock. They were superstars and they inspired their neighborhoods. When I saw a flyer with Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel's name on it, it was like Batman and Spider-Man really
5: exists.
3: That's Daryl McDaniels, or as you are more likely to know him, the DMC of Run DMC, one of the most influential rappers of the 1980s and 90s.
4: Actually, I'm not a rapper, I'm a rocker who raps because I had started rapping because I can't sing like Freddie Mercury.
3: Run DMC was the first hip-hop group to go platinum. Tenement buildings
4: and skyscrapers are polluted and
3: often invaded... Mr. McDaniels is still in awe of the hip-hop pioneers, But he's disappointed that many top rappers today perform without a DJ.
4: If you see today's top rapper selling records and rich and famous, performing their song without a DJ with turntables and mixing and a record, doing the music, that's not hip-hop. That's just a rapper rapping, performing their song. Hip-hop is what Run-DMC and Jam Master J has been since day one. Two turntables, vinyl records, microphones in the audience, singing the songs, that for rapping the songs that they wrote. That's hip-hop. These guys, nowadays, it's not hip-hop. And the truth is important, 89% of the artists, rappers today, don't care about the culture. They say that. I'm just doing this for money and show business. So show business and hip-hop is two different things.
3: For purists, hip-hop has four key pillars. The DJ, the MC, b-boys, and graffiti. Back in the day, the MC was sort of like a master of ceremonies.
5: Hip-hop to you drop.
3: Amping the crowd, but eventually the MC took center stage with rhymes and with witty lyrics and became the rappers that we know. Then, the b-boys and b-girls popped and locked during the DJ's instrumental dance breaks. And then there's modern graffiti, which began in Philadelphia, but became an art form in New York City. And today, hip-hop includes language. Think of words like bling, film, fashion, and even politics. Eric Adams, New York City's current mayor, calls himself the hip-hop mayor. To celebrate the anniversary, City Hall held block parties in each borough. I went to one in Queens and it was so much fun. I also went to Rock the Bells, LL Cool J's concert, also in Queens, and he had an impressive lineup which included Roxanne Shante, De Soul and Run DMC. Indeed Mr McDaniels of Run DMC wants to use the anniversary as a chance to remind people of the positivity and social impact of hip hop.
4: It was created out of nothing. Now it's a billion dollar business. So now people only focus on a billion dollars which is saying we ain't got nothing again. So let's just do what we did in the first place. In this time when corporations come, we say, no, we're running the show. Y'all go sit in the audience. We got to use the anniversary as that opportunity. It's not enjoyable no more. All the DJs from like 70 to like maybe the 90s, they say you could use to dance to a hip hop song while you're getting a positive message thrown at you. Yeah. Without cursing. And it was, we don't have that no more.
3: That spirit of old school hip hop lives on in people like Reza.
5: No DJ, no hip hop. No DJ, no music. No music, no party. No party, no hip hop.
3: Reza is a Bronx rapper who is also a guide for hush hip-hop tours and he speaks breathlessly about all the hip-hop landmarks in the South Bronx and in Harlem. Places like Disco Fever nightclub where Grandmaster Flash spun, West 139th Street Corner where Jay-Z rap battled with Big Al, but most importantly, the rec room at 1520 Sedgwick Avenue where hip-hop was born. Without that room, the culture wouldn't exist.
5: You know, that room has created the Rock Kims, the Jay-Zs, the LL Cool Js, uh, Roxanne Shanté, Ice-T, Ice Cube, N.W.A. Imagine no public enemy. That would be ridiculous. I mean, hip-hop has been a father to kids that needed a father. Hip-hop has been a mother to kids that needed a mother, whether they needed to hear Lauren say. You better watch out. They might not have heard that before. Hip-hop has been a superhero to save lives when kids didn't have no other way but selling drugs or hustling on the block. So many people were able to stop negative living through this culture by finding encouragement, by finding their voice, by finding their power. Hip-hop is a superhero. It's not just some genre of music.
3: Hip-hop has come a long way from the block parties in the Bronx. Auction houses like Sotheby's and Christie's that sell old master's paintings now have hip-hop collections on the calendar. Tastes will change, hip-hop will continue to evolve, but B-boys and B-girls of the future are likely to keep looking to New York. And Reza, he is certain that thousands of years from now, people will look back at that rec room in the Bronx the way we look at the pyramids.
1: While New York did produce Jay-Z, and some of the other best hip-hop artists of our time, the genre's popularity has exploded beyond the city. It's hit places like Chicago and Atlanta, picking up other greats like Kanye West, and of course, the ladies, Lil' Kim, look, I could go on. But in its evolution, hip-hop has become one of America's most important cultural exports. And now, it's time for the rest of the world to influence America.
6: To understand hip-hop's future, look no further than a track called K-pop by Travis Scott.
1: Josh Spencer is a news editor at The Economist, and most importantly, a big-time music enthusiast.
6: Featured on the track is The Weeknd, a Canadian artist, as well as Bad Bunny, a Puerto Rican who raps predominantly in Spanish. The song's title is K-pop, a nod to Korean pop music. One critic called it a diabolically stupid plan to create the most popular song in the world because it brings together stars and elements of global hip-hop into one single song. And tying all that together is a beat that is part Brazilian, inspired by Bai Funk, a cousin of hip-hop that was born in the favelas. It blends hip hop with other Latin sounds.
7: When I see Travis Scott latest single uh, K-pop, that's really body inspired. It's great to see we are becoming through music one global tribe again. Mm-hmm. My name is Aurí, Aurí Salton. I'm a musician. I'm an MC, a record producer out of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil.
6: There are few people who know the Brazilian hip hop scene better than Aori. Music born on the streets of New York has taken on new life in places like Brazil. Records like Vida Loca by Racionais MCs, a group where each member hails from the favelas in Sao Paulo, have helped to build a strong local hip hop scene.
7: For a long time, kids from the favelas only have very limited ways of coming up socially, either the military or being a football player. But now all the kids aspire to be rappers or streamers. Classical Brazilian hip hop from Sao Paulo is about the struggles of the favelas in Sao Paulo. It's all about black empowerment and survival.
6: Brazil isn't the only country to have been inspired by hip hop. All around the world, hip-hop's style, flow, and attitude has influenced and shaped culture and music. I'm a Green Godzilla, Arma, Barming Tiger, Arma a Korean Arma band who Arma consider themselves Arma an alternative Arma K-pop Arma group, Arma are heavily inspired by rap music, and they often use a rap-like flow in their songs, such as Armadillo. Omega Sapien, one of the group's main MCs, was born in Korea but then immersed himself in hip-hop culture as he moved between China, Japan, and America.
2: When hip hop emerged, you know, black people, they weren't apologetic about their identity, their race. You know what I mean? They were very unapologetic. We're black, you know, this is our music. And when I was growing up in America, there were not that many Asian representatives that I could like look at and be like, oh, that's me, like find my own identity. Hollywood was always showcasing Asian acts that only like fits in that, like a laundromat or like, <laughs> or, like an alcohol shop owner. Obviously I wasn't white there's no Asian representative that represent my identity. So I think I naturally gravitated towards like hip hop and see them be like, wow, they're so cool, you know? I wanna be that for future me, you know? Like for future kids right now, they could see Bombing Tiger and be like, oh my God, these are unapologetically Asian.
6: The story of hip hop's 50 years has often been an American story. Almost all forms of culture, from the trainers people wear on their feet to how politicians speak, has been influenced by it in some form. It's so much a part of American identity that the State Department even runs a hip-hop diplomacy scheme, which sends rappers, DJs and break dancers around the world to visit and spread the hip-hop gospel.
8: I am Tony Blackman. I'm the first official U.S. hip-hop ambassador. My first trips were to Senegal and Ghana. And Senegal, I like to say in 2001, it was like a hip hop heaven for me. It was the experience of pure, unapologetic love for hip hop, the dancing, the DJing, the graffiti, and the rapping. I learned some really important lessons. One, about what it means to be an African descendant, doing work in Africa. Two, the expectations of what uh, come when you are American. In three, that people were taking hip hop seriously.
6: Throughout the history of hip hop, hip hop always had a geographical center. Began in New York City, moved to Los Angeles with gangster rap, and then in recent years to southern cities like Atlanta. But now with the rise of the internet, many think there is no geographical center. And many of the most influential new hip hop stars are no longer African American. One example of that is Bad Bunny hugely popular rapper, whose song Mi Porto Benito has been streamed 1.5 billion times on Spotify since its release last year. He's a Puerto Rican, so is an American citizen, but he still doesn't quite fit the bill of a traditional hip-hop star. For one, he raps mostly in Spanish. Similarly, Burner Boy, a Nigerian artist, is helping popularise Afrobeats, a genre from West Africa and its diaspora that is in self inspired by hip hop. He recently collaborated with Jay Cole, an American rapper, on a song called Thanks. I think the future is Afrobeats. It's obvious to see with the growth to movement. It's not just a genre. Smade is a promoter of African music across the world and at home working with artists like Boy, Wizkid, and many others. So many ways that Afrobeat is now influencing hip hop. outside of music again. You know, we have the food, the fashion, we have the culture, which is the most powerful. African-American artists now are interested in knowing who they are. They want to know their background. They want to know their heritage. They're trying to find who they are. Afrobeat has helped them to find their way back. American hip-hop has always been inspired by other forms of music from around the world. Early records sampled Ethiopian jazz, for example. But this is probably the first time in hip-hop's 50-year history that artists in other countries are taking on America's dominance so directly. Hip-hop is changing in other ways. Rappers are becoming a more diverse bunch. Lil Uzi Vert, the first rapper to get a number one album in America this year, goes by they-them pronouns. Women, who have long been important to hip-hop, are now, in many ways, driving everything about the genre. When I Sexy Red,
0: I'm
5: a rapper slash trapper. I make fun music, music that make people feel confident about themselves, music that make people laugh.
6: Sexy Red is a big up-and-coming act who's on tour with Drake. Tracks like Ski Yee are a staple of her sound. It's party music, it's fun, and it often includes sexually explicit lyrics.
5: Back when I was young, it wasn't really a lot of female rappers. And if it was, they wasn't like the main people. But now I feel like it's a whole bunch of female rappers. And and they kind of like taking over over the boys now.
6: Not all of hip-hop's many changes have been welcomed. Hip-hop began as a shared culture, uniting oppressed people in the Bronx. And it's now been adopted by the mainstream, Many people think that rap music has become overly commercialized and it's lost these anti-establishment roots. But others would point out that part of the strength of hip-hop is that it's always had huge diversity in its themes. It's had party tracks, like those that were played at Cool Herc's block parties all those years ago, and it's had political jams. These songs can sit side by side today just as they did 50 years ago. We're
5: not trying to go to parties and hear about black and white issues and this, this and that, whatever the political shit they talk about. we trying to turn up, relate to what they're saying and have fun. This is a new generation.
6: Despite all this extra diversity and the rise of global stars, hip-hop has had some surprising wobbles at home. In 2023, for example, a hip-hop album did not top the American charts until July, which is the longest wait in 30 years. Some people began to worry that hip-hop is experiencing a midlife slump in America. Despite all this talk of a hip-hop downturn in America, its influence globally remains indisputable, with more artists from more countries embracing the genre in different ways.
8: Rap music has been used around the world to talk about political injustice against poor people and economic issues, corrupt governments. There are artists who've landed themselves in jail or prison because they were telling the truth in a rap song. There's something about it because when you're singing a song, you only have so much space for words. When you're rapping a song, a lot can be expressed.
6: For hip hop, middle age has never looked so good.
1: That's all for this episode of The Intelligence. Let us know what you think of the show. You can drop us a line at podcast at And if you're not a subscriber to The Economist, what are you waiting for? Join us. Get a free 30-day digital subscription by going to economist.com slash intelligence offer. The link is in the show notes. We'll see you back here tomorrow. The world is unpredictable, but it's also understandable. Economist Education offers a six-week online course on international relations. Designed by The Economist editors and invited experts, it gives you the knowledge and insight to navigate the rapidly changing worlds of geopolitics, business, and technology. And as a listener, enjoy a 15% discount with the code POLITICS. So sign up now at economist.com forward slash international relations.